0: Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see and, and soften our hearts to hear. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, make us your people. For the sake of communicating your goodness and glory, we pray, amen. So when I was younger, (laughs) young-er, a constant stream of commercials and advertisements conned me into thinking I could do whatever I wanted to do and be whoever I wanted to be. They beckoned with slogans like, be all that you can be in the army. A number of you probably remember that. Or eat Wheaties, the breakfast of champions, and you too can be a champion. I felt like that. I thought all I have to do is eat Wheaties. It's amazing. Or how about this? Be a Toys R Us kid. And I felt this one. Be a Toys R Us kid and all of my wildest dreams could come true. I really believed that last one. I have an image emblazoned in my mind of Jeffrey the giraffe from Toys R Us, Surrounded by smiling and laughing children. And, and he was promising an oasis of countless free toys where all the world's children were set free to, to play and frolic and be forever forever happy swimming among toys. And, and I could be there with them, swimming among the bikes and the trains and the video games. And all I needed to do was badger my parents. Come on, mom. It's the biggest toy Story there is. Gee whiz. It's the biggest toy store there was. Gee whiz. It was as easy for me as a kid as imagining it. So I remember as a kid feeling like I had all the power in the world at my disposal to do whatever I wanted and to be whoever I wanted to be. Or at least that's what I thought because... That's what Jeffrey the giraffe in the world and the commercials kept telling me. (laughs) Now I know that my power extends to, well, less and less the older I get. Suffice it to say that looking back, it was kind of nice for a while to live in the illusion that just a few miles from my house in Southern California, there was this oasis of free toys friends, accurately assessing the kind of power we actually do and don't have is a much more important issue in our lives than we may think. You see, when we don't understand the limits of our power, we see no need for the power of God in our lives. And we go through life Pretending that a world of free toys at our disposal at any moment is the answer. We buy into the world's ways and the power of material control in our lives. We buy into these images and these visions for our lives that can be attained, frankly, by our own power. And yet those images and those visions promise Something they can never deliver. But, friends, the depth of our knowledge and our experience of God and of ourselves is directly related to the extent to which we understand our power and His. This is crucial for seeing yourself and the world and God more accurately. You and I are creatures, He is creator. We are limited. He is limitless. Our power is totally contingent and dependent. His power is completely in and of and from himself, dependent on no other being. You're less powerful and less amazing than you think you are or than your mama lied to you about, but God's power is far more amazing than anyone has ever conceived friends said most simply according to the scriptures God can do what he wants and we cannot and if you don't understand this crucial difference this crucial truth about God being all powerful you will not understand the crucial truth that you are contingently dependent on him for everything good you and I are are contingently dependent. We are entirely dependent on who God is to save us from sin. Now we'll unpack this attribute of God here first by looking at him in the scriptures and then secondly by looking at ourselves in light of his omnipotence. So here's today's guiding thesis about this attribute of God. God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all he wills. God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, that's what omnipotence means. Omnipotence comes from the Latin for all, omni, power, potens. God's all-powerfulness, his omnipotence means that God is able to do all that he wills. Everything he wants or desires. Now, two quick points of clarification. In general terms, when we speak of any one of God's attributes, we need to be careful that our understanding and our use of, of one attribute doesn't violate the others. Our understanding of one aspect of God's character and nature, it must be in keeping with other aspects of his character and nature. In other words, A full picture of who God is comes from a biblical balance of his attributes, meaning relative to one another. So secondly, to apply that first point to today's thesis, when we're saying that God has all power and is able to do all that he wills, all that he desires, we're assuming that he's able to do all he wills according to his other attributes, his character and his nature. So to say that God is able to do all that he wills, we're also assuming that he is also holy and perfect. And as we talked about the last couple of weeks, he's altogether good and righteous and just. So, however, he uses his power to do all he wills, however, he uses his power is a perfectly good and entirely correct use of his power. If he is altogether good and righteous and just, then contrary to us, it's a good thing to say that God is able to do all that he wills. Psalm 115.3 says that God does whatever he pleases. If you and I were omnipotent, if we had all power and we were able to do whatever we wanted, that would become ugly beyond imagination really fast, wouldn't it? I mean, think about this. That, if we had that kind of power, would literally be hell. Are we tracking? If our desires had their natural end. So, on the contrary, to say that God is able to do all he wills is a really good thing. So, where do we see this omnipotence, God's power in Scripture? Well, we see it... All over the place, frankly. His all-powerfulness is all over the place. Psalm 24, verse 8. This is representative of thousands of passages like it that speak of God's ultimate power. So after recounting God's ultimate power and his greatness as creator, David says this. He asks this in Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Notice that practically this entire verse is made up of titles for God's power. He's not just king and Lord, but he's king of glory, and the Lord strong and mighty, and the Lord mighty in battle. His power is so true of him, it's his name. The Bible talks of God like this all over the place. Jeremiah 10, verse 6 says, There is none like you. There's not one like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Your name is great and might. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16 says that in Jesus, God displays his power perfectly, properly, exactly at the right time because he is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen to that title again. God is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of of lords, of all the kings, of all the lords. He's the, he's the highest. He's the, the capital K king, the capital L lord. In Revelation 1, verse 8, Jesus applies this title of power to himself when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is himself the Almighty. Literally translated, here that word Almighty is literally translated, the ruler over. All. So Jesus is saying he is ultimate in power compared to all other claims, almighty in power. So when we say that God's infinite power is representative uh, in scripture by names and titles like this, it's represented by names and titles like this, which happens all over the Bible. Part of what we're saying is that, like his other attributes, God's power isn't just something that he has, that he possesses. It is who he is. God is all power. And passages like this don't merely suggest that God possesses all power and authority. They outright assume and they claim it as true. The Bible doesn't, in a sense, argue for his power. It straight up claims it because think about this. If God is all-powerful, to what higher or greater authority or power would he appeal? Now, not only does the Bible claim that God is all-powerful, it speaks of how he displays his power for the sake of his creation and especially for his own people. In Genesis 18, verse 14, this is after Abraham's wife Sarah laughed at the idea that she would bear a child at the age of 90 in order to keep God's promises moving forward. God said, after she laughs, is anything too hard for the Lord? With the obvious implied answer being, no, sorry God. In fact, in Jeremiah... Chapter 32, 17 to 18, Jeremiah praises God's power in the lives of God's creation and in his people by saying this Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. God's Arm, the long arm of the Lord in Scripture is his power applied to his creation and especially on behalf of his people. And then he says this as sort of an answer to Sarah's question of whether or not she's going to have a baby and God saying, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah says, Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them, O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. In Luke 1.37, when Mary is wondering how it's possible that she would bear the Messiah, the angel Gabriel says, with God, nothing will be impossible. In Matthew 19.26, when the disciples are becoming discouraged because Jesus has just told them, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, but with God, all things are possible. You see, friends, God is in all things are possible God. And what better display of that power do we have than Jesus himself, who is the consummation and the concentration of the power of God, displayed for us, worked out for us to save from sin. Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 20, he says that in Jesus, who is the riches of heaven given to God's people, in Jesus, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. How? According to the power at work within us. According to the power of God that works in us. Here in Ephesians 3, the word that Paul uses for power is the same as our English word, dynamic. Paul's describing Jesus here as the dynamic power and strength of God himself who can work within us to save us from the sin over which we do not have power. Think about how God uses this power on display in Jesus for us and why. Because think about this. Listen, you need God to work in you in order to overcome your sin. You cannot do it yourself, (laughs) you're not that good. You're not that powerful. You're not that wise. The power of sin, friends, is greater than your personal power to will yourself to goodness. You'll never get there. You can't. Sin is too great a power in your life for you to overcome without Jesus. Scripture says, that you can't will yourself to goodness that earns his righteousness. It says no one is righteous apart from Jesus. The Bible says that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Like it's the the number one thing you can say about it. Scripture promises that God will one day, quote, render to each according to his works. So friends, if your good works add up to close enough to amazing that you feel worthy of being saved from sin, well, according to Romans 3.20, by works of the law no human being will be justified. And James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point, fails in one point, has become guilty of it. You are, according to these scriptures, even if you come up to 99.9% good enough, it's not enough power to save yourself. And if you fail in one point, you become guilty of all of it. And you are worthy of God's condemnation. Why? Because as we've been studying in this series, he is holy. He's altogether righteous. He alone is perfectly good and entirely just. And the reality is that he deserves your perfect obedience. You and I are not as powerful as we think we are. You and I are not as powerful as the world deceives us into thinking. And you and I are desperately in need of his power at work within us. Wherever you are in your journey with the Lord, you need his power more than you think you do. So let's take just a minute and let's think about this takeaway question. In what area of your life do you clearly need to admit that God's power is your own? we all have areas of our lives where we badly need God's power and the difference between those who understand whether, where those areas are and their need for that power and those who don't the difference is as simple as admitting powerlessness over your addictions your brokenness your sinful patterns admitting and understanding the limits of your power and God's limitless power. Listen, if you're still going through life clinging to childhood hopes of an oasis of free toys or dreams of worldly fame and material fortune, it's time to admit those hold zero power to help you overcome your greatest need of being saved from sin. If you're still clinging to uh, silly ideas about another human being filling the void of your heart, it's time to admit that only Jesus has that kind of power to satisfy that void in you. If you're still holding on to some vain personal hope that should be called stubbornness or self-righteousness, that you can will yourself to godliness apart from his ways and means, (laughs) it's time to admit that you're not that amazing and that seeing yourself accurately as needing God's power is the only hope you actually have. Friends, the power of God in Jesus It's our only hope. Father in heaven, we pray for uh, the recognition through your spirit, making us alive to hear from you.
1: That without you, we are condemned.